Let us pray. Father, we truly do stand this day on your promises through Jesus Christ. And Lord, pour your grace and your power into us to evermore fully walk by faith and not by sight. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Mm. I'd invite you to be seated at home. Good morning, everyone. On this second Sunday of Easter, as we continue to celebrate and give focus to our Lord's resurrection, I must say I miss all of you. I miss all of you so very much, and I know I speak for the rest of the team here on Sunday mornings. I miss our conversations as you come by the office or the church during the week. I miss worshiping together with you on Sundays. I miss serving at the altar with our acolytes having our choir and our worship team here, having our sound team in the back and hearing the voices of children all over the atrium and the children's wing on Sunday morning. So please know that you are deeply loved and cared for even in this time apart together, not only by me, but by all of the staff and leadership of this church. Continuing with our focus on Easter, Each of today's scripture readings continue in this central focus of our faith, Christ's resurrection from the dead. From our psalm, which celebrates God's eternal covenant-keeping faithfulness in sending redemption to his people, to our gospel reading from St. John's Gospel, chapter 20, in which the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples as they were gathered on two occasions. Then we have a reading from Acts chapter 2, St. Peter's Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, which emphasizes the centrality of Jesus' resurrection as the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and the essential foundation and basis for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit on all flesh. The beginning of which those gathered there on the day of Pentecost were witnessing firsthand in real time in Acts chapter 2. Finally, we have our reading today from 1 Peter chapter 1, which is where I want to spend our time focusing this morning. Here we find the Apostle Peter writing some 50 or 60 years after Christ's resurrection and not too long before his own martyrdom. And Peter in this time, 50 to 60 years later, continues to declare the centrality of Jesus' resurrection to all that we believe and to everything that we are as God's people. We cannot and must not overlook or miss this emphasis. The core central focus of the gospel message remains the same. For Peter, 50 or 60 years after the resurrection, and us, 2,000 years after the resurrection. Even as we will acclaim a little bit later this morning in the Eucharist, the central focus of the gospel, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. First Peter is written to churches scattered over a huge area, roughly between, if you can picture this on a map, the Mediterranean Sea to the south and west, Syria to the east, and the Black Sea to the north. 
Peter's audience in writing this letter was primarily Gentiles with some Jewish converts mixed in. Overall, they were poor, generally isolated. Remember that in the situation we're dealing with today, they were isolated and they were persecuted. Persecuted not so much by official Roman authorities in a coordinated way at that time, as much as by the surrounding pagan culture and some of the local authorities who were under Rome. They were persecuted by a culture to which their godly living, the transformation of Christ in their lives, reflecting the light of Jesus, all of this was an affront to the culture around them. A witness which brought countercultural presence and godly conviction amidst a debauched and pagan culture that they lived in. Peter writes to encourage them and renew them, and also to renew and encourage you and me today in the hope of Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think that is an incredibly appropriate and important even right now for us in this season that God's word here in first Peter writes and speaks to us by the spirit of God to renew and encourage us in our hope which is in Jesus Christ our Lord so I want to explore together today this theme of the believer's hope focusing on three key points of verses three through five of first Peter chapter one so first, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we have the essence of our hope. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines essence in this way. The most significant element, quality, or aspect of a thing or person. The essence of the issue, if you will. Look at verse 3 together with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 3 begins with a, a joyful outburst, perhaps a hymn of praise to God. And why? Because they and we who believe have been born again to a living hope. And all of this, all of this is because of God's mercy. God's mercy. This is the common shared testimony of every Christian down through the ages. You and I, we brothers and sisters, are recipients of God's great mercy. How have we received and experienced God's mercy? First, because we know and we who believe know God as our Father, as our Heavenly Father. He is the Father of us. He is the Father of all saints' church. He is the Father of all who believe in every generation. And this is completely because of God's gracious initiative through our Lord Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ as Lord is to also know God as our Heavenly Father. Second, we experience God's mercy in that we are born again into, as St. Peter writes here, a living hope. 
If you and I know Christ as Savior and Lord, we have hope that is alive and which God wills to thrive in us. Not in some way that denies the reality of difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances will come. But despite them, and in the midst of them, in the midst of difficult circumstances, we have hope because we can see the big picture. We have hope because we know the essence of our hope is in our resurrected Lord. Jesus' resurrection, brothers and sisters, as we trust him, radically alters our entire situation and our entire perspective. Our hope is not tethered to the things of this world. Our hope is not somehow tethered to what medical experts or community leaders or political leaders in any sector say about COVID-19. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And because of him, we can walk in newness of life. Not bound or held down by circumstances we encounter in this passing world. But fully alive in the midst of them. Through Jesus Christ, our resurrected Lord. And I believe that is a word of God for us today in this situation. We're not to cower. We're not to live in fear. We're not to be pulled down by temporal circumstances or disappointments or challenges we face. Our hope is in our resurrected Lord. And nothing we encounter in this world can or ever will alter that eternal divine reality. I think of Walter Chiswick, who I've spoken of before in sermons here at All Saints during the past year. Walter Chiswick was a Catholic priest who ended up in the Soviet Union as a missionary under Stalin. Very quickly found himself first in Lubyanka prison, the prison in Moscow for political prisoners, where he was imprisoned in complete and utter solitary confinement and silence for five years, and then spent 15 years in the Siberian gulags, suffering under unspeakable conditions. And yet, near the end of his life, in his book, He Leadeth Me, that talked about his experiences, Chiswick, in a chapter entitled The Fear of Death, could write these words. I think when we think of what Chiswick went through and so many other believers have experienced down through the centuries, this should speak to us and challenge us and encourage us today. Hear what Chiswick had to say. The thought of death itself does not terrify me, had not terrified me all through the war or prison or the prison camps. Death must come to all men at the end of this earthly life, but it is not therefore evil. If the good news of Christianity Christianity is anything, it is this, that death has no hidden terror, has no mystery, is not something man must fear. It is not the end of life, of the soul of the person. Christ's death on Calvary was not in itself the central act of salvation, but his death and resurrection. It was the resurrection that completed his victory over sin and death. The heritage of man's original sin that made a redeemer and a redemption necessary. This was the good news of salvation, meant to remove mankind's last doubts, last fears about the nature of death.
for the resurrection was a fact, a fact as certain as, and as sure as death itself. And it meant that death held no victory over men, that life beyond death is a certainty and not just a human hope or fable. And then continuing, Chiswick says this, this is not a Christian fable. It is a fact and the proof of it is the resurrection. If Christ be not risen, said St. Paul to his Christians, then your faith is in vain. And you cannot be a Christian and doubt that fact. Christ's coming upon earth, his taking of human flesh, had no purpose if it was not to die and then to triumph over death. He was not just a religious leader, a great teacher of ethics or morals. He was the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah. His death and resurrection are central facts, not just of Christianity, but of all human history. Men lived in expectation of his coming and his victory over death until at last he came. Since then, the good news of his victory over death has been proclaimed everywhere and has sustained in peace and in joy those who have believed. We have hope, brothers and sisters. Even in the worst, even the most horrific of experiences as Walter Chiswick and so many other believers have walked through, we have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. St. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The essence, the very core of our hope is the fact that God has raised Christ from the dead And because of God, we are offered new life into a living hope which the world cannot take from us. This is the essence of our hope. Second, we have the enduring promise of our hope in verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter continues emphasizing the hope and inheritance to which we are born again, that our sins are forgiven, that we have eternal life. That we are God's children, he is our father, and God the son, Jesus Christ, is our Lord. We are promised that this hope we have inherited is enduring. We look at verse 4, we see that it is imperishable. Nothing of this world around us can eradicate our hope. It is undefiled. Nothing in this world around us can pollute or soil the hope that we have through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It is unfading. This world will not cause our hope to decay. I want to step back a little further now to where we begin, to the churches in Asia Minor that this letter was first written to. They were surrounded by a culture and community whose ways of living and practices stood in stark contrast to the character of the one true God and stood in overt opposition to his holiness and his purity. Yet none of this had any power to pollute or defile God's people despite the ridicule, 
despite them being ostracized, despite both subtle and overt opposition and even persecution. As Peter writes a little further along in chapter 2 of his letter, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The darker the world around them grew, the more troubled the world around them became, the brighter the light of Christ in them would shine through them. Unless, unless they lost sight of the grace and the power of the one who had redeemed them, sealing that redemption by his resurrection. All of the darkness in the world around us, brothers and sisters, all of the trouble that we see in the world around us cannot pull us down, cannot alter reality cannot keep us from the promises of the hope we have in Christ unless we lose sight of the grace and power of the one who has redeemed us, sealing us by his resurrection. We have this promise. The hope in us is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it will endure. Finally, we have the expectation of our hope. Look at verse five with me. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. By God's power. That really sums it all up, doesn't it? And it takes us right back to where we began. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our human efforts. It's not about our strivings in the flesh. It is about him. It is about him through faith or more correctly here in this verse. It is about him through faithfulness. As we look to God, as we experience and more fully lay hold of his power at work in us, and indeed it is as we open ourselves to God, we can live in faithfulness, brothers and sisters. We can, by God's grace and by the power of our risen Lord, live faithfully even in such a time as this. We can live faithfully in a time like this, just as those believers that Peter first wrote to lived faithfully in the midst of debauchery around them, in the midst of darkness around them, in the midst of poverty and difficulties on every side. That is the expectation of our hope. Here in this present moment, that we can live in hope, true expectant hope through our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ not because of arrogance or presumption of the flesh on our part, but because God himself has promised this to us. We have this hope, this expectation of hope in the present, 
Secondly, we have this hope as a future expectation, which will be fully and ultimately realized when Christ returns. When all things are made new, when the struggles, tears, pain, and even persecution of this present passing world will pale in the light of his glorious fullness, the fullness of salvation, which will be ours with the complete and total consummation of his kingdom. Peter reminds us, God's word reminds us that all of this, brothers and sisters, is for a little while. You and I are kept by God's grace for his great purposes. And that begins, continues, and has its ending with the message of Easter, which again is the mystery of our faith, which we can affirm today, which we affirm indeed every Sunday. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Let us pray. Father, in the midst of trials and challenges of life that we face and that so many believers around the world face in such greater measure than we do even this day, renew us and strengthen us and increase in us your hope. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, strengthen us in faithfulness to hold fast to that hope which is enduring, which you promised to us, which the world can never take from us, which is undefiled, which is anchored in you and your unchanging character. So Father, with all that we are experiencing today as a church family and as a community and as individual households and, and believers here in the All Saints Church congregation. Strengthen us. And God, help us in ever greater measure to cut any ties we have that tether us to the temporal concerns, the failing hope of this world. And strengthen us and renew us and fix us firmly in the hope that we have in our eternal risen Lord. For the glory of your name. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.